You're listening to the Library Pros Podcast with Chris and Bob, a techie librarian and a computer IT guy discussing libraries, technology, and all things this side of the reference desk. Thanks, Carl. Hi, and welcome to episode 80 of the Library Pros Podcast. I'm Chris, and Bob will be here soon. He's stuck in traffic on Nichols Road in, he's probably up in Setauket, but he's just stuck in a little traffic. So today we're coming to you from the booth at the Station Public Library in Hobart, New York. So the Library Post podcast is a bi-monthly podcast, so please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google's Podcasts, which is, they just changed their names and now it's Google Podcasts, uh, Spotify, wherever you find podcasts. And please check us out on Twitter at, at the Library Pros and on Facebook at facebook.com slash librarypros. Consider leaving a review or tell someone about us because word of mouth is the best way to help our podcast listenership grow. So today joining us is Martin Christopher Brachin. And Elise Conradi from Bibliothek Centralen, which is a co-op owned, largely uh, co-op owned library, kind of like a quasi library, right, guys? Uh, well, we, we are, we're a service provider to libraries. Okay, right, so right. so and it's it's owned largely by municipalities in Norway, uh, and they supply libraries across Norway with a uh, whole bunch of uh, collection materials, equipment, and services. So mm-hmm. we're going to speak with Martin and Elise about Bibliothek Centralen. I'm going to keep saying that over and over again, and everybody's going to start to send me emails making fun of me. Because uh, they do a lot of cool stuff for the libraries of Norway. And we're going to talk about what they do. We're also going to talk about library after hours, gathering statistics, and what they've been seeing regarding COVID-19 and libraries adapting in Norway. But first, let's get to know our guests. Velkommen in podcasten. Oh, that was bad. That was bad. Talk, talk, Susan, talk, which is thank you in Norwegian. Yeah. <laughs> thousand thanks. Yeah, thousand thanks. That's right. Okay, so first off, we're really excited to say that you're our first guest from a non-English speaking nation to appear on the podcast. So thank you both for visiting with us. And can you tell us where your facility is located and what it's like in Norway? Sure. I'll go first, maybe, Elisa. And I'll just try to say something generally about where we are uh, located. So first of all, thank you so much, Chris, and thanks for having us on. So, so we're located in a, in a huge, actually pretty big uh, office facility just outside the city center of Oslo, just outside the capital in Norway. With a pretty big like, storage facility is also here because we deliver books throughout all Norway. And we're a parent company to other ventures that deliver uh, furniture uh, to, to libraries and transportation. Yeah, and and books for schools. So we're all in the same building, and we call it the the library house. Actually, the library house. That's pretty cool. cool. Yeah, pretty cool. I guess to us. Yeah, (laughs) I guess I could say a few few words about Norway. Um, Norway is a pretty small country. In case uh, in case your listeners don't have all the the details at hand, we were. Large geographically, but we've, we're under 5 million people, or we're right around right, 5 million. Right above, I think. Right yeah. above 5 yeah, million. Around 5 million uh, 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 people. We've, we're about uh, 400, 400, 500 public libraries yeah, in total. Probably, yeah, probably like 400 and something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we There's, provide services to, to all of them. And we're pretty far north on the map. <laughs> so we've got uh, long summers with a lot of daylight and equally long winters with uh, that are pretty dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So fall is coming, actually. Yeah, winter is coming right after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty long one. It's a pretty long one. I can only imagine. 
So one thing that we talk about from time to time on this podcast is drive. So what's the spark that drives you? You know, why are you so passionate about what Bibliothek Centralen does and your role there? So um, basically, Bibliothek Centralen has been around since 1952. And we're one of the few centers really that focuses on providing services to libraries. So we have, ever since the, the late 50s, we've been providing uh, catalog data, for example. So we've got this huge database of pretty much everything that's ever been sent out to public libraries in the last, you know, six decades. And I'm passionate about metadata. <laughs> I'm just so excited about how we can continue to develop metadata for public libraries in particular and school libraries also, and how we can leverage the metadata that we do produce and make better end-user discovery systems, really. So I'll add that we can simplify and say that Elise is probably the back-end person, and I'm more of a front-end person. So what drives me is definitely, because I used to work at the public library for many years, so what drives me is the dialogue between the, the staff and the patrons and the services and, uh, and the patrons. Uh, and there's a lot of changes going on in Norwegian libraries right now. Uh, in a broad sense, from going from places to books to places for people. So that drives me definitely to be a part of that change. Yeah. Well, it's really cool because I think that the two of you being on today are a good example of what library service is. So you do have the people who are out there, you know, with the people trying to take the temperature, doing all that stuff. And then you have the people who are in the back who are doing as if not the most, the same, you know, amount of uh, importance as the people on the front end, because it's really important to know your data. It's really important to understand how you're going to serve and, and to be able to, to be a predictor of what's happening or going to happen in the future. So I think the two of you on are really a good balance and a good representation of what libraries do, both on the front end and the back end. Yeah, we so, think so too. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Elise, you have a really interesting story. Originally, when you were quite young, you actually lived not too far from where, where Bob and I are here on Long Island. Tell us how you came to be in Norway. Well, uh, my mom's family is uh, from North Babylon, and uh, she uh, went to nursing school uh, in, I guess, I think it was Mount Sinai on Manhattan, and mm -hmm. met my dad, who is a young Norwegian uh Entrepreneur. I guess he was in his early 20s. He was working with Norwegian uh, tourism on Manhattan and they met and uh, fell in love, got married and, and the likes and ended up after a while moving to West Islip where, where I grew up. Hmm. So I grew up, uh, yeah, I guess 15 minutes away from my grand, my Nana uh, in North Babylon. We lived there for 10 years and then my dad moved the whole family over to Norway and uh, learned the language, got to know my grandparents and stuff over here before we moved back to the United States four years later. Uh, but we settled in Williamsburg, Virginia then. And I went to high school and college there before I moved back to Norway again. That was the, that was actually the short, short version of this. this <laughs> but it's such an interesting story because I, look, I don't know many people that have, have, were from Long Island and moved to another country, then moved back and then moved, moved back to that other country again. So to me, that's really a fascinating thing. And we were talking off mic before about cultural, you know, understanding and learning about new cultures. So that must have been a really interesting time for you growing up, too. Yeah, it was uh, it was nice to kind of I mean, after we moved to Norway and moved back to the United States, especially it was. Kind of like I, I could always uh, look at American culture from the outside and also look at Norwegian culture from the outside. And you kind of get this different perspective on on what's going on around you. So 
Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I find that fascinating. We could probably do a whole podcast just on that. But <laughs> but why don't we take a short break? And when we return, we're going to chat with Martin and Elise about Bibliotech Central. And sorry, I'm going to turn it into a little bit of Americanism because um, I don't think my tongue can do the ugh part that, that, that many more times. Um, we're going to talk about, you know, what they do with regard to service to libraries in Norway, what Martin and Elise do and get a little more detail, nuts and bolts along with talking about gathering data and how libraries have reacted to COVID-19 in Norway. So we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, it's Chris from the Library Pros, and I want to tell you about the book, Best Technologies for Public Libraries, Policies, Programs, and Services. I, along with Nick Tanzi and James Hutter, both amazing technology librarians and previous guests on this podcast, co-authored the endeavor. If you're interested in bringing 3D printing, augmented reality, virtual reality, or drone flying to your library, this book has what you need. It's a roadmap to successfully implementing this technology because we cover purchasing, developing effective policy, finding the right software, and have model programs and services already designed to make planning programs easier. You can find the book on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever you buy books or ebooks. I hope you'll check it out. Okay, we're back with Martin Christopher Brachen. Did I say it bad? Was it bad? That was really bad, right? That wasn't too shabby. Uh, you want me to say it? Yeah, go ahead and say it so you can set the standard for us. So, so, so my last name is then Brachen, which has this A with a round circle above it. There are three letters at the end of the Norwegian alphabet that you guys don't have, and they're pronounced A, E, O. And the last one then is right in the middle of my last name. It's an O. I mean, you have the sound in English, but uh, I mean, you don't use it as a letter, I guess. So it's Broughton. <laughs> Broughton. Yeah. And Elise Conradi, which is much easier to say. Yeah. From Bibliothek Centralen in Oslo, Norway. So what do we want to call it instead of Bibliothek Bibliotex Centralen? Because my tongue won't well, make it through the episode. <laughs> uh, well, as we were talking, uh, in Norway, we abbreviated to BS, and that won't work here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Bibcent or the Library Central. Um, take your pick. <laughs> and if you just want to call it something completely different, we're okay with that too. <laughs> we'll call it Bib. <laughs> Bibcent works for me. Okay, okay so, so let's get into this. So when we first met, when we had our first introduction conversation over Zoom, we had a discussion about what libraries had to do when coronavirus shut down libraries, you know, Oh, basically across the world. We talked about, you know, that movement to digital. Can you describe for us what you have seen from, from Bibcent and from your viewpoint, because it's a rather unique viewpoint about what libraries had to do. And I'm assuming there was a switch to a digital content, right? Yeah, it was a switch. Definitely. Or it was, I mean, they really had to, front the digital services in a different way because that was the only thing that they actually could provide for a pretty long period of time. So this is probably one of the million dollar questions or maybe the million crowns question that we would say. Crowns, yeah, crowns, crowns, yeah. Uh, because, I mean, they, they, the libraries in Norway definitely had a good, I mean, they're doing definitely the best they can with the 
with the tools they have and the digital content they have. And they, of course, have been keeping a good relations with, with patrons through social media and, and the e-books and, and doing whatever they can there. But uh, in a broader sense, I think um, going and taking the, the, the physical library space out of the equation has really uh, raised a couple of big questions. I mean, what is a core library service digitally? How do you actually provide the, the, the knowledge, the core services, the, the value, the core values that libraries represent digitally? Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's, that's a job that needs to be done. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I agree. I think, I mean, I think it's really impressive to see how quickly Norwegian public libraries were able to kind of, uh, I mean, they were shut down almost overnight and they were able to kind of turn around and say, okay, well, how can we provide uh, content to right, our, right. Our, uh, our public? And so there was, you know, there was a lot of scrambling towards, okay, well, we have the, this e-reader, we have this uh, audio book provider, we have all these different disparate services, but there really was, I think a lot of libraries saw that they, they really lacked this, uh, this common platform to, to provide yeah, their, their core, core library services. It was kind of like a lot of different platforms that uh, libraries were, were trying to find a way to, to integrate, I guess, into their, their services. So it's, it's been really interesting. It's been really, really impressive to see, but we also see that there's this, uh, yeah, there's, there's a kind of a dearth for, you know, an integrated platform where, where the physical library, the, the values of the physical library also can be mediated. Which is yeah yeah that that the the, the values of the library is actually the premise of the service. Mm. Uh, now we see that there's third parties and and actors that's been around for a while and, and needs to fit into uh, the big puzzle that is the library and the core values of the library and and it's not always a perfect match and they do whatever they can to 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 make that co- connection and yeah so there's a big job to be done there I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Well, I think that's a struggle no matter where you are. You know, what, what are the core values of the library now? And, and you know, because it's always been for the longest time about the books. And now it, we're seeing this shift, which was, a, I don't want to say a glacial shift, but it was not necessarily, you know, a Formula One race car shift. But I think uh, once the COVID situation arose, it kind of forced everybody to make some decisions. So now I think we're in this... Um, Kind of like this, this no man's land almost of, of what core values of libraries are. I mean, obviously the, the core, the biggest core is that you serve the people who come into your building. The right. question mm-hmm. is how you do that now that they're not coming into a building. Right, right. And how do you mediate your collection when, when your collection has pretty much been, uh, centered around what's on the bookshelves? Right. So it's, uh, yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, and it's it, it, you have to also ask yourself with regard to collection development, you know, and uh, your your weeding yeah. your weeding practices to get a little nerdy here for a second, you yeah, know. Sure. So, <laughs> do you do you look at the data and say, okay, something that hasn't you know hit the circulation desk in five years goes, or is it two years, or is it a year and a half? Is mm-hmm. it more content related? Now, of course, when you're weeding, you're you're going to be evaluating the book. If it's been going in and out, and now it's covered in coffee stains and mold, you're probably going to ditch it anyway. But just mm-hmm. in terms of just purely the data, if you have yeah. a book about Winston Churchill that mm-hmm. hasn't circulated in four years, and then mm-hmm. you go and you discard it, and then next thing you know, it's on Oprah's book club next week. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So where's that balance, you know? And now factor in the mm-hmm. fact that most libraries are either still closed or just opening and not allowing people to browse the stacks. Yeah. How do you, 
you know, make these decisions in weeding and balance it against the new wave of ideas coming through where you want more collaborative spaces. So you have to kind of weed in order to maybe eliminate some of these stacks. So sure. then you can have more spaces for collaboration. And yet now you need even more space because if there's any collaboration happening in a space, it has to be socially distanced. Yeah. I mean, in Norway, there's been a move for the last few years of uh, weeding more and more and uh, and and relying more and more on uh, interlibrary loan, in particular from the, the central deposit uh, at the National Library. So you have less books on the shelves, but you still have this this if not expectation, you have this this uh, this need to still be able to mediate all the books that are available also through interlibrary loan. And that kind of uh it's it's a new challenge to how how do you mediate books that you don't have on your shelves? How do you how do you use the digi- digital platforms to to let let your patrons know that this book is also available even if if you can't get it you know right this second? Mm-hmm. And even taking it one step further, saying okay, that book about Winston Churchill, and we're just picking on Winston Churchill for some reason. I don't know. Um, let's say that book is available um, as a digital download book on overdrive or Libby or whatever that is, or you, you know that you can supplement that information with digital information from your databases or from some other digital source. Um, Norway, uh, the national library of Norway has digitized every single publication that's ever come out in Norway. Right. It's the only country in the world that's done this. It's, it's a, a huge, amazing project and the potential for, you know, how this can transform public libraries is, I mean, it's really, really quite amazing. Mm-hmm. We could do a whole episode just about that. <laughs> I mean, just, yeah, the machines actually, you can do a whole episode about yeah. the machines that actually yeah. doing the work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, the first thing that jumps into my head is, well, how do you get the rights to do that? And then who gets paid and who doesn't right, get paid? Right. And, right. They, they've managed to, I mean, that's, it's, it's interesting. There, there's negotiations with this, uh, what is it called? Kopinur? Kopinur, yeah. yeah. So, so this, this, uh, I guess it's a, a law firm that represents all copyrights for all uh, the publishing houses in Norway. And they've been able to negotiate the rights to, to give access to, I think, every publication up into the year 2000. I think so, too. And then certain publications after that year. Right. So everything up until 2000 is openly available to everyone in Norway. After 2000, I think you have to be inside of, like, physically be inside of a library in order to get access, unless you're a student or something, yeah, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rules like that. Yeah. But it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. And what you can do with all this digital text when sure, you're talking sure. about machine learning and new types of services and... And the likes. Yeah, it's all machine readable. So, yeah. See, and this is why I really find it interesting speaking to people who are not in the United States because there's, I don't want, fresh may not be the right term, but I'm going to use it anyway. There's a fresh perspective on something like this where I could not foresee that happening in the United States. There would be uh, stadiums filled with lawyers trying to figure this all out. And, mm-hmm. and then at, at the end, you know what happens when you put that many lawyers together, nothing's going to get done. Uh, so to the fact that Norway was able to figure that out to that degree is, it blows my mind. Absolutely blows my mind. Yeah. I mean, but it's an experiment along the way. I mean, I think for publishing houses too, there's like, at first the, the thought is, okay, we can't, we can't give open access to everything. But then you realize a lot of this is, is just sort of promoting, promoting, uh, authorships someone maybe will discover a new authorship through something that's free and then they'll go and buy buy more books by this author i mean it's promoting reading at the right, end of the right, day. right right dare i say it's the spotify for the literary world 
Uh, yeah, no, not quite. Because uh, <laughs> actually, we said that they provide access to all of these books, but they don't. They're not in any good format that promotes reading on screen. I would say there's yet. still something to yeah. be done on the front end there, yeah, yeah. just to be the front end guy again. <laughs> but, just, yeah. but just in terms of research, I mean, you can do Control F and find the content that sure. you need. Yeah. Yeah, there's like a lot of interesting, a lot of interesting works uh, being done, like showing what which words have been popular throughout the throughout uh, the decades in Norway. Which words are most popular in newspapers versus fiction? Right, and people are very interested stuff. in actually yeah, these yeah. kinds of fun fun facts or or facts. Yeah, I mean, and if we can then if we can then combine it with some of the metadata that we're creating for public libraries, I think that I mean, yeah, the the future is wide open. You're right. Well, and you just literally took the words right out of my mouth. I was just going to say that, <laughs> that that makes it, it, it that's incredible fodder for metadata. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So, that's, so we've been looking at uh, new metadata types. Like, I mean, of course, we we put subject headings on uh, you know on all our books and and genre terms. But we're also starting to put appeal factors and appeal terms from Reader's Advisory mm-hmm. on our uh, on our fiction collections. So that's yeah. It's fun, and that actually points to maybe then that you you need to you need maybe not completely new data, but you need to think about data differently to to drive that front end uh, or that the digital service that actually makes sense in a library yeah. and in a digital library if you want. The, the, the competition here is pretty fierce, so you need to come up with something pretty good, mm. you know, because you're out there with Amazon and Netflix, right? That's just, that's the reality of it. You know, and, and just thinking in terms of machine learning, too, with all that metadata, um, you know, there, there are databases like what to read next and, and those kinds of things where you can, if you're really not a, an adept reader or a, a well-read person as a librarian, which, you know, I'm raising my hand. Um, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm more of a tech guy than I am a reading kind. Mm-hmm. And when I, what I read isn't necessarily, you know, the, the latest Patterson. Um, you know, it, it helps for those librarians to have that. Now, imagine the machine learning involved with that to make readers' advisory even easier for for librarians who may not be big fiction readers, or even for the patron who's looking to see. I like Patterson, but I've read all the Pattersons. Is there an author like Patterson or a genre or a topic? Think about the the aspect of that metadata now being culled and, and turned into machine learning, where we can have even more apps and and software and products that are available to help patrons find that next read. And again, that's machine learning and technology helping the paper. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And, com- and combined with uh combined with uh good old-fashioned librarian produced metadata because you have that that aspect is often missing from the conversation about AI and uh metadata and libraries. You you kind of like uh Forget that there's there's a huge value to human beings actually analyzing and evaluating books that come through. So based upon the shift in libraries there, you mm-hmm. know, what you've been seeing, what do you think libraries have learned about their models and and that metadata? And what do you think can be employed to help propel libraries moving forward? And in a scenario where libraries may have to revert back to digi- the digital model in case there's a second wave or you know, there's a spike in infections and things like that. Very good question. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think, again, there's a lot of thought around how, how can we integrate all of our, our models and our services? Uh, the, how can, how can we, uh, how can we create something that's sort of, uh, streamlined? Um, yeah, it's, it's more streamlined that kind of like, uh, 
mediates what our library is all about, what kind of services we provide to our patrons in one central place. That's I mean, a lot of uh, libraries are looking to their website or looking to create, you know, apps that that'll do it. But it's it's still a, there's a lot of different services that aren't speaking to one another. Yeah, I know because actually the the core. I mean, the the the, the traditional library model, which is is actually. It doesn't fly today if you want to uh, mean cynical about it. I mean, you would never actually be able to to start uh, a, a library today or to establish a library today because the content is owned by so many different actors and different mm -hmm. players. So it wouldn't allow that 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 plat to be that platform to all that to all that uh, value at the same spot, you know, and give away this huge chunk of their own value chain. And this is what we see happening in, in the digital uh, arena, mm. which is now libraries are faced with trying to, to do what they're used to do. They use, they're used to doing in, in, uh, in the sense of paper, paper books and trying to translate that into digital. And it, it's a, it's a struggle. Sure. Well, yeah, but it's a struggle they need to, they, they, I mean, of course we, we need to figure out how to do that because it's important. It's, it's super important. And definitely now, and we see that shift to digital. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's funny as we're talking, I, it, I recall a picture of you um, in an interview you did with Matt Finch at mechanicaldolphin.com. And right. the picture was you with all of these things in front of you, like Play-Doh and Star Wars. They were probably <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. the Star Wars robots and, and all that stuff. And I'm thinking the first thing that jumped out at me, well, the first thing I jumped out at me was, wow, American, a lot of American products. I yeah, I know, right? You know, yeah, and, yeah. And being the self-deprecating American, you know, it's like, wow, <laughs> why, why are we imposing ourselves on the rest of the world? But that's another <laughs> topic for another day. Um, but the the thing that fascinated me and actually made me really smile is because you're talking you're you're talking about being from Bibcent, and mm -hmm. you have all this stuff in front of you. You're not like surrounded with books and book stacks and all that stuff. But not that there's anything wrong with that because there isn't. But mm -hmm. The, the fact that you're doing what you're doing with what you're doing it with is mm -hmm. in, it made me smile because it's like, okay, you get it and, <laughs> and you understand and you're doing that service and you're doing that outreach and you're doing that thing with other holding up air quotes stuff. So you're doing it. So you're probably doing STEM and steam and you're probably, you know, bringing tech to people, whether they're children or adults. So, you know, that really kind of made me smile and I'm sure that there's data behind what you do that helps to keep you financed to keep you doing what you're doing. Yeah, sure. In terms of actually selling those products, they are. But uh, what's even more interesting, and thank you, by the way, <laughs> uh, what's more interesting is how do you actually see these trends and these new tools in uh, and translate them into a library service? And that's what's important to me. That's what's interesting to me. When, when you have big things like makerspace going on, I mean, self-employment, these are big trends that probably will shape the future, how we, how we work. Mm. We need to figure out how the library, what, what's, what's the library in this equation? And, and that I, I, I'm very fascinated by the idea to actually then combine library knowledge and these new trends and figure out what's in between them. What's the new stuff in between the makerspace and, and librarianship? Not just to stick a makerspace in a library. And, you know, yeah. it's it's really interesting that you bring that up because it kind of spills into that third question we had that, you know, mm -hmm. with your with that component to outreach. I have um, one of the, the guys that works in our department. 
uh, at, and this is where people joke and say it's the Sachem drinking game. I say the Sachem public library and people have to drink. Um, mm-hmm. So what we have done with our makerspace, we have my friend Alex, who was a clerk. Now he's a librarian training. You know, he's studying all he studied a lot of the stuff that we all had to study in library school. And as he's doing the work, he say, Chris, how do you feel about? And then he'll say something and I'll look at him and go, I, I really haven't even thought about that since library school. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's that mm-hmm. that trend where you hope that the library schools are keeping up with the trend. So what Alex does for me, because he was a computer science undergraduate uh, at, in his in university studies, he um, he has he is an integral you know, part of what we do to the point where we, you know, we're doing some different things with regard to job submissions, you know, patients submitting 3D prints or, or wanting to use the cricket or any of the other services that we have available. And again, that's library service. You know, right. that's, you're providing a service at the library and it's a service point the same way a reference desk is or the circulation desk or mm-hmm. even, you know, one of your, um, your open catalogs that people will search for books with. And mm-hmm. now it's to a point where, you know, our, I don't know if you call it the same thing we call it here, realia. You guys, you call it that? Where you circulate non-traditional items? No, I don't think so. I, I don't think Real? we call it that. I'm not actually, actually sure what we call it, but it's, uh, it would be like uh, lending out. Skateboards and fishing skate- poles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> In Norway, skis. <laughs> right, 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 right. Right, so yeah, we do hotspots and um, video conversion kits and, you know, all these right. fun right. things, telescopes. So thinking in terms of the patron searching for something, they can search for that in the catalog now too. So what we, what Alex does and what we do in our makerspace is a service that's a library mm-hmm. service. So in, and we've yeah. had, we've had this discussion on, on numerous podcast episodes about whether or not the word library, at least in the English language, is an outdated term. And right. I've heard uh, opinions on both sides saying, yes, it needs to be more of a community center. And mm-hmm. I've heard other people say from a marketing standpoint, why would you get rid of something that has such a name recognition? So yeah, I, I kind of agree there also with the latter because I mean, yeah, li- the, the word library and also bibliotech for that matter really, really is centered around books. But the idea of the library has really, I mean, our, our major strength is that we're constantly evolving to uh, and answering to the needs of the public. So, so I think that's what I, I would identify that much more with a library than than just a collection of books, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially the last, you know, the last 10, 20, 30 years where you, you do see more of a, you know, an opening up of spaces and, and uh, lending out non-traditional equipment, doing programming in itself is, you know, is a huge part of public libraries. And that's, you know, it's, it's just where we're constantly, I, I, I like to think at least that libraries as an institution are kind of listening, have their ear on the ground, listening to the public and and trying to figure out how can we provide free services to all of our patrons right. <laughs> whether those free services is you know include learning how to read or being inspired to read or they include uh getting help filing their taxes or getting help uh with with uh of citizen uh, other types of citizen um you know, work, getting yeah, their yeah, passports yeah. and that, right, that right. sort of thing. Right. Sure, or even just getting something, I don't know if you have notarizing there, but, you know, something, getting yeah. a document notarized. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Right. So, you know, right. there are so many different levels of service. And I, I've said it before, you know, in other episodes that 
we're the only government or quasi-government agency that's not there to take your money. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Right. And we're the only also public space where you can go in and you're not expected to to buy anything. You're not expected to you, you can just stay there all day uh, and, you know, be sheltered and be surrounded by knowledge, culture, whatever. And at the same time, that actually makes a hell of a lot of economic. Can you say can you say that? Yes, that that's okay? fine. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of sense economically too. I mean, and socially. Yeah. You, uh, I'm pretty sure you're familiar with the book Palaces for the People mm-hmm. by. He's in New York, and I think he's from yep. New York. I think Leidenberg yep. or what's his name? Okay. Yeah, he says that it is actually it is actually bang for the buck to provide these free services, and it's a, so it's a super good idea, it's on so many levels. So. Yeah, and but but my point was also that you have all these services, and it, it can, of course, it can, uh, it can make the library fuzzy. Or can you say that fuzzy? Sure, uh, in, sure. In, yeah. Like a warm and fuzzy place. <laughs> oh, okay, no, no. Sure. So, so well, that's like not un- my unclear. Like, what um, is, yeah, yeah, yeah. What is the more unclear? Yeah, where is boundary? Yeah, yeah. Where not well, not well defined anymore. So again, going well back defined. to that to that core of what you know what the library is. Right. So if you keep adding stuff because you want to be relevant, you can actually lose your foothold, and you don't want to do that because you don't have to. When you work at the library, your core is solid. I would say you can stand your ground, as you would say in in the library library in your librarianship, and and um, and provide something that people will need. But you have to adjust. Mm. You have to just how uh, how you uh, develop that dialogue that you have with your patrons. But you're still a library, 100%. But a library today is probably something different from uh, the library tomorrow. And what's that? And then you have to have the whole, I mean, then you have to, you have to move the library as a whole. And what happens in maker spaces in libraries or, or is small, let's call them fringe services, they're up to maybe one there's there's probably just one person who owns them and when they go home it's not a service anymore or when they quit the job it's not a service anymore you just have to you know close shop so so it's vulnerable like that so so all the new stuff that's coming to library to me it's it seems very important that we that then you then just have a library take on it how is that actually moving this whole library and this library service as a whole forward mm. yeah yeah, absolutely. Sure. And and have that cross training and have other people who know what they're doing so it doesn't die when that one person retires. Right. Yeah, that's very important. Yeah. You know? And if it does, it's probably not a library service. Yeah. Right. It was more, of a, more of a fringe service, like as, as you said. And that's probably just a test. If it's just one one person or maybe just 50% of a person exactly interested in that service, mm-hmm. after many years of going about that way, it's probably not a library service. You know, probably I'm just tossing it out there, but that's maybe a test to see if it, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Something that could be, I don't know if that could be measured, but it, it makes a lot of sense. If it <laughs> dies, if it dies with the retiring, retiring of the staff member, then it never really was a, a full on library service. And if no one comes the day after and actually asks for it, it's definitely not a library service. <laughs> exactly. It never, <laughs> it never really was. <laughs> I know, right? That's yeah, the yeah. test. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's talk about the outreach component of what you do really quick. So at, at Bibcent, you have that component of outreach and, you know, and how do you adapt what you do with regard to outreach at schools and member libraries? Because I'm assuming your approach would be very different. 
Um, do you mean like that we lack the physical meetups that we used to have because of COVID or? Well, no, I mean, I don't know that you do this, but I'm thinking that you go out to schools and you do outreach to schools and then you also help libraries develop what they need to develop. We, yeah, we, did, we have a component of outreach uh, primarily with uh, school and public libraries, I would say. We're, I mean, we, we have meetings with uh, librarians. We discuss their needs. We just recently hired a service designer, mm-hmm. uh, and her, her main responsibility area will be to kind of gauge what – I guess what you, we could say do outreach to to these libraries to kind of gauge what what what's needed, where's the uh, what's what's difficult with the pro- with uh, ongoing processes. How can we help? Yeah, and that's a big part of the shift that we're trying to do now in in Bibicent. It's just trying to answer a lot more uh, together with the libraries, and we want to figure out the the, the new ideas and the solutions in partnership with libraries. And that's also why we hired a service designer. And of course her work is being close to patrons and staff. And of course that makes this, makes this a bit more difficult. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, yeah, during COVID, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, COVID yeah, is a big game changer, yeah. It is, it is, yeah. it is. But on this, we were just talking about this earlier today. I mean, on the other, we've really gotten adept at using Zoom and, T- and Microsoft Teams. Uh, <laughs> And it's it's actually a lot easier to set up a meeting with a library that you know we we otherwise would have had to flown to. Yeah, to right, with. right, I mean, right. Kind yeah, of like, definitely. Okay, we could set up a meeting uh, the, with a click of a link. Yes, expenses are down. <laughs> well, it's funny that you mentioned that because so one thing that we do here um, in Suffolk County is we have something called the Technology Information Forum, which is a monthly meeting. We usually I usually coordinate it, and what I'll do in like. Starting around this time of the year, I'll ask libraries, okay, who wants to host? So who wants to be January, February, March? We go all the way to June, and then we take July and August off. And then Mm -hmm. we start again in September. And then at the end, in December, we have what we call the annual meeting where we bring in a guest speaker for kind of like everybody. But when COVID hit, nobody wants anybody in their buildings anymore. Nobody's certainly going there for the bagels and, and coffee anymore. Right, right. And... So speaking with colleagues of mine in the adjoining county of Nassau County, uh, we said, well, maybe we need to do something because everybody was kind of like trying to figure out what they're going to do. How are we going to do these meetings? They were doing a tech meeting uh, through the Nassau County Library Association. We were doing our tech meeting through the Suffolk County Library Association. So we got together and said, you know what? Let's do it together. Let's do it over Zoom. Mm-hmm. So during when everybody was in lockdown, we did weekly meetings. And those weekly meetings, so our TIFF meetings, our, our technology meetings in Suffolk County would be attended, like a really good meeting would have 30 people. Yeah. Um, and then let's face it, you didn't always get 30 people. Sometimes you got 10. Right. Uh, so then I started to introduce the idea of streaming the meetings on Facebook, which is good because you got to see people looking at it afterwards. And then mm-hmm. when we switched to the Zoom model uh, with the adjoining county, we were getting people attending in real time. Anywhere from 125 to 200 people. Right. And then it, and, and then we would save the recording and then post it. And then you would see the legacy where it was viewed maybe three or 400 times. So right. that sharing of information, if there's any good that can come from, from the pandemic, it can be, yeah. we've learned to communicate a lot better. And Zoom yeah. and Zoom stock, you know, went through the roof, but that's another whole story. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. So but, we're actually using the tools for what they were intended to to be exactly so yeah. you know 
it, it's um, really interesting how, you know, the digital content changed us as much as it, it changed us and how we do things as much as it's changing how we do things for patrons. Yeah. Right. So changing topics just slightly with regard to that digital content that libraries offer, what have you seen from libraries that made you say, wow, that was really innovative. And what have you seen that has made you shudder and think, Ooh, that wasn't a good <laughs> choice. And of course, without naming names or any or anything like that, but and without being super specific, but are, have there been some things that you've seen that were like, wow, that's a great idea. And others like, Oh, what were they thinking? <laughs> For the good example, I actually want to be specific because my old employer, the Oslo Public Library are doing fantastic stuff and they're building digital services now from the ground up. They have a huge project that can actually do that. And what they've done is built their own custom-made library CMS from the ground up, which now actually um, makes it possible for them to, to, to catalog and to add content uh, from all parts of the library, uh, the collection, uh, events, services, uh, single employers, uh, I mean, individuals uh, working at the libraries, uh, reviews, book reviews. Everything is now in that CMS and they can just push this content out uh, on different channels. Uh, they see fit. So that's super interesting. So I would say that probably is the first good example that comes to mind. It's a game shifter, definitely, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Very inspiring. It's very inspiring. Yeah, yeah. And everything, and they add things around that. They actually built their own custom-made library uh, or is it LMS? Is that what you call it? Library management system? Yep. Yeah. LMS on top of COA. Uh, COA, the open source uh, or European or French, actually, I think French European LMS. So they added a lot of code and and made their own custom made LMS on top yeah. of uh, open source code. So that's yeah, they're one interesting. Of, one of the first libraries in the world that uh, are there cataloging in linked data they moved away from mark uh you know while we were still talking about mark having to die <laughs> and i think there are a lot of earlier still talking about mark having to die but this is you know we're close close to a decade ago they took the made the decision to stop stop cataloging in mark they still exchange data in mark but they uh they are their native format is linkedin RDF, yeah yeah, link, yeah and that of course opens a lot of interesting possibilities that is yet to be seen. So, mm. yeah, so that's a good example. It has a lot of implications as well for, for companies that produce like Sierra and Cersei and some of those other, you know, um, we call them integrated library services or ILS. Right. Um, right. So, you know, it, it, in terms of going your own way, that is, it, it's taking a huge leap mm. and yeah. a very heroic leap because it's kind of breaking away from yes. with the rest of the, the standard that the rest of the world kind of follows. And it's actually kind yeah. of admirable. Super yeah. bold, Absolutely. super bold. Yes. Very bold. Yeah. 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 And now they're reaping the benefits from it. Definitely. Yeah. Now they understand now they have a super moldable, flexible uh, foundation, which they now can build on to make even more custom made uh, front end services. So it's, yeah, yeah. And they actually know what it takes to do now so they, they can share that information with other people and they know what information is important. And so it's like, not like when you're cataloging a DVD and you want to know who the, um, 
you know, who the gaffer was, you know, you put it <laughs> right. in the 245 field, you know, it's like, how much of this data does a patron really need? I know, right? That's exactly. a very good question. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, did I just yeah. actually make a reference to a Mark field? Yes, you did. Ew. <laughs> by, by number. <laughs> oh, wow. Take me out back and shoot me. <laughs> wow that was really scary i actually sounded like a librarian there for a minute okay so what about the not so good choice and again the names shall change the names to protect the uh, the innocent you're right right, right. i mean that, that was a really difficult question because i can't point to any specific specific service that wasn't a good choice, but there, it's, it's more like the whole infrastructure. I was talking a little bit about this earlier. It's so difficult to integrate services and to make like a common platform for, for providing your whole like list of services, one, one specific place and to integrate, uh, integrate these services. So yeah, I'd like to hold, actually point to the entire the entire industry, if I may. <laughs> and I know Mark is partially to blame here, so, so let's just start there. Sure, we'll just blame Mark. Let's just blame Mark. Yeah. I mean, blame even Mark. even in just thinking about like our ILS is one thing, our our programming calendar is a different product. Yeah, exactly. You know? And then you have to authenticate from one to the other all these like daisy chains and you know these precarious yeah. connections. And then you've got overdrive coming in. You probably have an app for movie streaming. I mean, they're just like, it's, yeah. And that wouldn't be that. And it's probably not a huge issue if you, if you know how to integrate these services to other third parties, then we probably had good solutions. But if you combine that with the fragmented services all around different platforms and different standards with, uh, I don't know why it's the way it is. It's probably just a complicated question, but with uh, the culture, say, that you don't share between those platforms yeah. or services. A lot of silos out there. Yeah, there's a lot of Data silos. Stuff. And of course, a lot of digital Lines. mess. Oh, Would yeah. you say mess? We could say mess. Heritage. <laughs> heritage. Digital heritage messes. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. legacy. It's, it's the legacy of, of things that people don't change because, sorry, librarians, you don't like change. Uh, you know, so like, but that's, you know, the dirtiest words you can ever say in a library are, well, that's the way we've always done it. Mm-hmm. And there's that um, mentality that I don't think is there as much as it used to be. It's still 70 percent, but it's not 90 percent. But you've got right. yeah, I mean, you've got library leaderships. I mean, when, when uh, people are, or librarians are fighting for more linked data, I think the first question librarian leadership is, OK, well, show me where it's worked. And it's kind of like you won't get any services that work that mm-hmm. are based on linked data until you kind of take that leap like the, the Oslo Public Library has. And you still, and still, they're they're amongst the minority uh, right, right. Who, have, who who work with linked data, and uh, and so you still have very very few services to to look to. So right. It's kind of like this catch twenty two where we're stuck with kind of an old fashioned system, uh, and we can't really do anything great and innovative with it because, and, and since we don't have anything great and innovative to show to to uh, to look to, we won't change the the system mm-hmm. you know and i cut i shudder to think about this but i also am kind of fascinated by what the possibilities could be mm-hmm. if google got into into creating an ils right yeah. um they cre- might all be out of business <laughs> <laughs> well it, it begs the question though you know why haven't they i mean i i understand why there's no money in it for them but That's why. with regard to the data that they could generate and the 
just think in terms of what we just did with um, the script for today's episode using Google Docs, where I can mm-hmm. see if you're in the document and what you're doing in a document in, in real time and you are, what, 4,000 miles away? So, you know, it's it's it, it just I have a feeling that one day Google's going to come in and say, here's a catalog. And what's that mark thing? Because guess what? We just scan the cover of the DVD and it po- auto populates. And it's just searchable data and without it conforming to a 245 field or, you know. Yeah. We've got a lot of libraries already uh, experimenting with with machine learning uh, and automatic cataloging already. Mm -hmm. And then you have the Baker and Taylors of the world, the the distributors that are actually sending things pre-cataloged. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. again, there's there's pushback and and there's there's pros and cons on both sides of of that argument, um, with regard to how you control your catalog and how you control the content versus the ease of just importing data that's there that's you know standardized data, but everybody wants to tweak and everybody wants to have their their hands in the soup as it were, right? So mm-hmm. you know it's uh, it it's not going to be solved within the next five years, that's for sure. And then you you fold in. The pandemic on top of that, we're, we're distracted by other things that, you know, as much as we're being propelled forward with the digital content, some of that other stuff is kind of like getting put in the back, in the back burner for now. Right. Yeah, we don't have any of these, uh, these national and international library conferences either. I mean, the ALA was canceled, IFLA is canceled, and, and there are a lot of groups that are meeting, you know, online virtually to discuss some of these major, major like, uh, game-changing issues mm-hmm. but it's it's difficult to do this online i mean that's that's where i really miss being able to yeah to travel to meet people to talk about you know what's what's going on with rda and bib frame and what's going to happen <laughs> what's going to happen when when people finally realize that a work is something different in each of the two standards and you know all that stuff <laughs> right and I, I mean like i don't know if you guys you guys know about the the conference computers and libraries right yeah, yeah. So myself and, and Nick Tanzi, a gentleman who I we co-authored a book together and we worked together on a bunch of different things. We're doing a presentation for them. We were supposed to do it back in March. And now they're going online and um, we're trying to figure out how we're going to do this as an online presentation. And, you know, it begs the question. And this is this is not a reflection on on inf- info today or anything like that. But how many people are actually going to go to this conference mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Mike, if we were to do the same uh, presentation here in Suffolk County, are we going to have more people in Suffolk County look at our presentation than, you know, as a national or international conference going online? I mean, that's right. the con- that's the concern that, you know, without that, look, everybody likes to go away to go to a conference. Everybody likes to, to do that networking and go out and have a beer and, and mm-hmm. do all that other stuff. That's part of a conference. And if that's now disappearing, mm-hmm. you know, for this foreseeable future, what you know, what are conferences going to look like and how is that going to affect the flow of information? Now, obviously, Zooming and doing all that stuff can work, but will it work the same way? I mean, that's that's a big yeah. unknown right now. Mm. Right. And until somebody puts their foot down and says, this is how it's going to be done. And everybody kind of says, oh, I guess we're doing it that way. And they get in line and they do it that way, too, until somebody actually takes that bold step. And hopefully it's a good bold step and it's a good idea then I think we're just going to still be kind of like floundering around like, like fish on the deck of a boat, you know? Right. Right. So, you know, in terms of that, not such a good choice, we'll just say, yeah, we're, <laughs> we're kind of there right now. 
<laughs> but it's not a bad thing because this is where the ideas come from. Yeah, I think so too. Definitely. Yeah. So in, in, in keeping that, that same vein of, of thought, where do we go from here? You know, many have said the pandemic has propelled libraries five years into the future rather quickly. But with one thing I found fascinating is, you know, in our first chat with this concept of, you know, after hours libraries, which we didn't even get into, we can even talk about that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, after hours libraries without staff or, you know, or the open plus model. Um you know, you, we, I think you had said that this is something that they're trying to do in Norway, right? Like, where do we go from here? Is it going to be open spaces that are not monitored at night or, you know, what, what's right. next? Right. The open plus or you call it open plus in, in the U.S.? There, there's a, there is a library and I forget where they, where it is. It's called an open plus, it's called the open plus model. Right. In Norway, yeah. we call it the more open. Yeah, it's called more open. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Pretty much yeah. In Norwegian, then of course, and then what you wanted it to be is just an add-on. It's not. It's not just you don't want to replace staff. You want to add to the staff, right? Again, yeah. This is a, this is probably probably one of the biggest deals in, Nor in Norwegian libraries these last five, six, seven years. That there's more and more libraries now that you can that you can enter without staff being present, and that you open with your own library or patron card. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm pretty sure that all libraries in Norway will be almost all, all in, will probably be as as we say more open or open after hours. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and and so far it's just been giving access. Yeah. You know, so there's systems opening the door, and there's some security measures being taken. But this leads to this huge new question. Uh, which is where we are right now is there's a lot of patrons now actually just uh, experiencing the library services and the library uh, without staff ever being present when you're there. Yeah. How do you, how do you do, how do you uh, allow staff to continue doing their important work when they're not there? Is there, is there some way we can make some kind of a you know, digital mediation that's right. sort of like the librarian's extended arm when, for when they're, they're not present? Yeah, so there's a lot of questions comes, coming from us, and that's because we are interested in the questions now. Yeah, We're in now in the question business, and we want to be that partner that can uh, to, to, to answer, hopefully answer, answer these questions together with the libraries. And this is a big question. And how do you keep the knowledge, the know-how, the skills of library staff within the walls when they're not there after they go home? Uh, and uh, that is, of course, a very important question to answer. Uh, and and if people start using the the library without staff being there, of course, you have stakeholders that will look at it and say, "This is working without staff." That can happen. You can say that it, it hasn't happened yet, as I know. But of course, that is that is a possible and plausible way to see the future of libraries going to make them more I mean, self-serviced. Well, and I think that's the bad thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's funny that you mentioned that because in in our conversations in the past, it, this isn't even, it didn't even enter my head. But I guess it's because I'm bringing my my daughter back to back to her university tomorrow. Um, <laughs> their their libraries are open 24 hours a day. Now it's not with staff the entire time. I think the staff uh, leaves at midnight. But right. They have you know the study space open. Right. So mm -hmm. and you're also able to print your documents and, and do that kind of stuff too. Uh, I wonder if that's something that could be 
and it's not just her her university. There's colleges all over the United States right. and probably other countries doing the same thing. But how do we take that university model and mirror it to the public? Because again, if you're serving a university population, you're serving people who are traditionally about the same age. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's something different. Yeah, I agree. Right. Yeah. You know, they generally, and I'm making a broad generalization, have the same values, have the same, right, um, right. you know, they're there for the same reason. Whereas in, in a public setting, libraries are all things to all people. So, yeah. you know, you have people who are coming in who need a computer. You're having people coming in because they need a service. They have, they want to do this thing or that thing, or they just need a quiet place to focus because they can't focus at home. Right. right. So how do we take that university model and translate it, translate it into a public model? And and can it be done? And And will there be issues with... You know, with being a suburban library versus a small rural library that may not have the funding versus an urban library that may have the funding but yet not have the staffing. Right. You know, yeah. And then all of the other concerns that go along with all those things. Right. I mean, it's been working pretty well in Norway so yeah. far. We're not, I don't think, I don't know of any libraries that are 24 hours, but there's usually like extended opening hours, uh, you know, four or five extra hours in the evening time. So going fairly well uh, here. I haven't heard of um, any issues, but I, I remember reading a lot uh, about the same concept in some Swedish cities where there were problems with teenage gangs coming in and, and uh, maybe not respecting the space as those libraries would have hoped. So I, I don't think that there's a, a clear answer on how to achieve how to achieve this. I, I know of one library in Norway where there were volunteers that like friends of the library who, you know, would go yes. to the library in the evening time and just kind of hang out just to make sure things were, you know, yeah. yes. nothing bad happened. Now that's a good example of a, a library take on it. As would you, uh, in a shopping mall, you would just send security. And, and that might be also uh, the right thing to do in some cases. But as a library, you should you should probably ask the question, what is what is right for us in this situation? And it might be a collaboration with other actors that can or or volunteers or people from your community that can come in and do whatever they do inside the library space and therefore be that security or that safety just by being there at, in, in the evenings. Right. So that might be the case. And I think this this is a. To me, I mean, libraries are publicly funded here in Norway, and it's basically their service and their buildings. I mean, they're they're helping paying for it. So to me, it makes sense that you try your best to actually give back as much as you can and to continuously add value to that so they get something back. And I think this is just a fantastic example of doing just that. This is taking COVID-19 out of the equation, obviously. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're totally right. Because could you imagine? Oh, jeez. I know, right? Yeah, yeah. So that that of course makes it even more difficult because that this this is probably where the most interesting part of innovating libraries in Norway is right now. And then you have this this yeah, new all, situation. Yeah, where all physical spaces were closed for a, yeah, yeah, for yeah, several months. And yeah, yeah, just starting to open up more with different different rules, different regulations. I'm not sure how that's affected the. The open plus model. I don't think they're open yet. No, no, I don't think so either. Nope. Well, we've gone on and on and on, and this has all been amazing, but it's time for us to take a break. So when we come back, we're going to be asking Martin and Elise our top 10 library questions or what we like to call the 032 list, which Elise has informed me that is not the Dewey number for top 10 lists. <laughs> so, Sorry, I'm 
That's okay. No, it's keeping us honest. That's good. Um, So I don't know if there is going to be one, uh, a top 10 list uh, Dewey number, but we're just going to stay with the old three, two list for now since it's been like that for four years. So, um, but thank you, Elise, for, for uh, actually doing that research that I should have done. Good job, Chris. Good job being a librarian. Uh, so we're not going to give credit to Melanie Cardone from the Longwood Public Library anymore for naming a list of questions. So we'll be right back. Okay, we're back with Martin and Elise, who are going to be our next next participants on the 032 list, uh, because your level of service is slightly different than libraries who deal directly with the public. Uh, we can take some license with the questions, but we'll still have some fun with it. So the questions are inspired by Literary Hub, which is a source for library news and stories and interviews related to library land. You can mm-hmm. see their work by visiting lithub.com. They do a great job educating and informing library professionals on great topics from all around the world. So thank you, Literary Hub. So you guys ready? Sure. Okay. Sure. Number one, what did you want to be when you were a child? Go ahead, Martin. Okay. Let's, uh, yeah, I've gotten that question a couple of times before. I have no idea. I mean, I hear people talking about their dreams. I can't remember any dreams I had, so I was probably not an ambition. I, I didn't have any ambitions back then, I guess. But <laughs> what came to mind was actually being Michael Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that would, that would have been a bad idea, and I know that now. So, but a Bad. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, wow. No pun intended, actually. I think that's... I mean, the closest thing I will get to a childhood dream. And uh, yeah, that's pretty pathetic, I guess. But <laughs> and he was a cool, he was a cool guy. And sure, yeah, but again, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, he created magic. So that's what I, I, that's my answer. I wanted to create magic. <laughs> what about you, Elise? I have to be equally vague. I don't know. I think at one point I wanted to be a dancer and at one point I wanted to be a teacher. Uh I probably wanted to be a princess. <laughs> and as I got older uh, and I was in high school and college, all I wanted to do was travel. So that's... Well, you certainly accomplished that. I did. I did. <laughs> okay. So next question. What was your first memory of a library and who brought you to the library for the first time? Here you go, Elise. I'll take this one first. My uh, first memory of a library is the West Isla Public Library on Higby Lane. Uh, my mom used to take us there once a week or once every other week. And, you know, we just borrow books all the time. I can't, I was trying, I was talking to my mom yesterday, trying to remember any specific memories we have of going there. And besides, you know, the, the March of dimes where you, you know, you play, people would pledge a dime, a book for multiple sclerosis when I was a kid. Uh, the only specific memory I have is, uh, my mom took us there before we were going on vacation to Florida once, and we borrowed all these books, you know, about Florida and books we were going to read in Orlando and stuff like that. And then she was packing all of us four kids into uh, the station wagon and drove off. And all of a sudden, she's looking through the rear view mirror and sees all these books fly off the roof of the car. Oh, no. <laughs> so that was our uh, the most concrete memory I have of a library. And the best part of that memory, I think, or memory, my mom's memory, is that... Uh, that all the books were returned by the, you know, the good citizenship of West Islip. All the books, you know, were picked up off the the, the highway and uh, returned to the library in, in good shape. So, wow, yeah. kudos to West Islip. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Always. West Iceland Public Library. That was a great place. Does it still exist? Yeah. Oh, it's still there. They renovated it. It's a beautiful building. Fabulous. In fact, I think the director listens to this podcast. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Shout out. <laughs> Very nice. Okay, Martin, do you have one? Yeah, I remember my teacher bringing me or bringing us to to the public library near our school. I remember that, but I don't have any specifics. Maybe just one. I remember a book on Einstein that I wrote. Uh, this was a traditional library that, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry to say, I was probably a bit bored when I was there, but I remember a book on Einstein that really got to me in. He 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 was just thinking about so many ungraspable things to me. So I really like that. I remember I like that. So but 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 I grew up in a household with readers. Both my mom and dad were huge book lovers, and we had books everywhere. So the reading came. I mean, almost naturally for me because of that. So shout out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> So the next question, when did you decide to work, not necessarily in a library, but in the library field? And if it wasn't your first career path, what was your first career path? Well, when I moved to Norway in my uh, early 20s, I had no idea. uh, when When I first got there, I had no idea what to do. But I kind of quickly realized that or somehow thought to myself, "Okay, I think I'm going to devote my life to becoming a writer, a writer of fiction. And so uh, for several years, I was trying to write fiction before I all of a sudden realized uh, around my 30th birthday that I was a better reader than a writer. <laughs> and so I decided to pursue librarianship. And that's that was my start. I went to library school and, and quickly fell in love with metadata. So I'm kind of that. <laughs> fell in love with metadata. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> so I was like, my early 30s is when I uh, delved into librarianship and have not regretted it for a second. Here, here. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Martin, what about right. you? I think I kind of stumbled into it. Uh, so my first career, I mean, I mean, my first job was actually something completely different. I used to work at a check-in counter, a, a cruise liner, going from Norway to Denmark and Norway to Germany. That was completely different. And after a while, I, would, I had s- small things here and there. And and I really wanted to, to work in the public sector. So I remember Googling public sector innovative jobs or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> because, and and the library and then there was they wanted someone to help uh, a public uh, a public library here in Oslo moving from outside a, a shopping mall to inside a shopping mall so that 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 change they needed someone to help them facilitate that change and uh yeah that's how I got into it and after that I don't I don't think there's an exit I don't think there's no exit doors from this I, library not many life. people leave the field all <laughs> right. Okay, so who is your favorite fictional librarian? Elisa. Yeah. <laughs> you have to do that, Elisa. I narrow down my list, but Lucian from uh, The Sandman, by far my favorite. The keeper, the librarian of uh, this, uh, Neil Gaiman's The Sandman's uh, library of all things dreamed, either fulfilled or thought of. Wow. Are the best. And second place, close second place would be Batgirl. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And and it's nice that it's a female that said that too, because whenever, you know, I've had a couple of times it's mine and everybody gives me the, the stink eye because well, we, we know why you like the bad girl. Well, Barbara Gordon was cool. She was, she was badass. 
Yeah, she sure was. She sure was. I have no idea what you're going to oh, say. Oh, uh, it's an American thing. <laughs> <laughs> Third place being the Dewey nerd I am would have to be Parker Posey's character in uh, in Party Girl. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, Martin, you have homework. You're going to go on YouTube and you're going to Google Batgirl from the Batman TV yeah, series yeah, in the yeah. 1960s. And you, too, and you, too, will like her a lot. <laughs> you can also check out the the search for Dewey and Party Girl in YouTube and you'll get that great scene where she throws down the book and she's like, we have the Dewey Decimal Classification System for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> Martin, do you have a favorite? I don't think I can add anything to this list. I actually had to Google fictional libraries. Uh, but what came to mind is, and this is for the two Norwegians that probably listens to this show. Or maybe there's more. I don't know. There will be. Uh, there's definitely yeah, there's definitely a cool librarian in, and this is Norwegian, by the way. This is a Norwegian um, series from the 60s, 70s called Flexness. Ah. And there was a fabulous librarian there who who shushed on everyone in a fabulous way. Uh, so uh, I will definitely check that out when I get back home because I just thought of that right now. She was hilarious. Yeah, so that's the only one I have. So I'm going to have go for her. That's far away from Batgirl, I have to say. Yeah, <laughs> probably. probably. Far away from yeah. far away from Batgirl. Yeah. So what would you be doing if you weren't working in a library? We'd be working in Bibliotech Central. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. Answer. That was a good answer. Good job. Yeah. yeah. I had a I don't know. There is no exit. Like Martin says, it's, I think I, I love the field of librarianship, love libraries. It's, I have a hard time imagining being anywhere else, but maybe, maybe, maybe I'd finally write that book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. I don't have a, uh, you don't I, have a plan B. <laughs> you know what? I think I, I'm going to have to go with wherever. I remember yesterday I was on the train and so the, the train conductor walking past me. I said, that's pretty cool. I mean, yeah. train conductor, I can do that. So I'm going to go with wherever. I mean, I can, I can usually find something interesting wherever I go. Uh, so probably wherever. <laughs> but right now, Bibliotech Central for real. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So what is your favorite section of the library? So this originally was written with the intent of fiction, nonfiction, history, biography. But now, as we just discussed, there's maker spaces, there's study rooms, there's technology centers. It can mean anything. Mm-hmm. Well, earlier, we were talking about front room and back room. <laughs> we were left saying that Martin was like, anywhere people are, and I was like, anywhere yeah. the data is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're going to go with that one. I would definitely say where the people are. Yeah. Actually, I do. Actually, I have an affinity for the, the fiction shelves. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> so if you had infinite space and budget, what would you add to, since we can't say your library, to, to Bibcent? What would you want oh, to get? Oh, that's a that's oh, a twist. Infinite money. Uh, <laughs> well, that's, that's not a good thing. A that that is definitely not a good thing. It wouldn't it wouldn't drive innovation. It wouldn't drive innovation. So you need you need boundaries. <laughs> I, <laughs> it feels like we have infinite space right now. <laughs> but I can speak on behalf. I try to speak on behalf of, of, of libraries, and I'd say more staff definitely. Yeah, yeah. I'd say people. People, activities, I mean, the, the best memories of me and the, the, what I love about libraries the most are the, 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 the connections and the, 
the dialogue between staff and, and patrons and patrons and patrons. So, yeah. I think also like just to have the, the, the possibility to experiment with new services and new types of metadata without having to think of, think, you know, is this, is this economically feasible? Right. Uh, just to have that luxury to be able to, to do like the Oslo public library did where we're taking that leap towards linked data and mm-hmm. yeah. Right. Makes right. a lot of sense. So what would you, what do you love about Bibcent? Oh, the staff. Yeah. And I think that totally agree. it's a great place to work. Yeah. Totally agree. The people here. Yeah. Definitely. Everybody, everybody here, I mean, seems to love libraries also and, and works to create, you know, the best possible services for libraries. So it's, it's really inspiring. Yeah. Good discussions also yeah, around discussion, lunch yeah. table and yeah. It sounds yeah. like such an amazing place. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's almost like a think tank that, you know, you, you get to sit and, and speculate and, and come up with ideas as much as you're just doing your day to day. So we try. I mean, yeah, yeah, the yeah. two of us with front end, back end. Sort of <laughs> How can make things work? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what is the weirdest thing that's ever happened there in Bibcent? Not necessarily the worst thing, but maybe some, something weird that happened. We had one, uh, one time they talked about, one of the guests talked about a bat getting into the building mm-hmm. and trying to corral a bat. <laughs> You know, other person, other person said, bring somebody bringing a bat into the building, <laughs> a baseball bat. So, you know, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So, yeah. Well, public libraries, right? <laughs> I used to work at a public library, so I can actually, uh, I had an experience there. That's, that's definitely, uh, definitely weird because I was cleaning, uh, I was, uh, I can't remember what I was doing, but I was, I opened a book. And that's something that you do when you when you work at a library. And there was a wig inside. A wig? A wig, yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Or a toupee, would you say that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ew. And, 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 and that's not the weirdest part. The weirdest part is that this dude came over and said, <laughs> mine. <laughs> and he had a full head of hair. Did he say, is that my wig or is that my bookmark? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good question. But he, he actually pointed to the wig and said, "That's mine." And he had hair, so it wasn't his, 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 his. <laughs> but I gave it to him, and that was that. And that's definitely the weirdest thing I've ever experienced in a library. That's a great. And it will be. It will be. It will stay that way. I'm pretty yeah. sure. The weirdest. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Elise? Anything? I'm racking my mind, and I've, I think I've been in the back room for too long. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of anything that's really weird that's happened uh, either here or at my former workplace. But I'm sorry, I'm going to have to disappoint there. We'll go with Martin's wig story. <laughs> <laughs> I think that makes up for it. Don't it's worry. It's a hard one to match. It's a hard one. Hopefully, he, he listens to the show. Yeah. Hey, wig man. <laughs> <laughs> so this this question is a little kind of off for you guys because of where you work. But we we always ask the question, who's your favorite regular patron? So I guess for Martin, it would be like, who's, do you have like a favorite, like, library you like to talk to or or a, a individual at a particular library or no i'm gonna to have to go with all of them there i mean yeah yeah definitely but I, I again since i had so many years at the public library i remember this kid who who was so cold had issues at school and had problems you know following the rules at school but he came to us to the library and he he, he used to 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 teach 
programming and coding to to other kids and 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 adults at uh, he was probably my favorite guy he was really inspiring you know there's something yeah, yeah i'm gonna go with that kid how about you elise anything yeah I, I just have to say i mean i just get it my fa- my favorite I'd, I'd say regular person i talk to is i mean anybody at a conference who starts to inspire me about possibilities in the library field. Like I just get really easily inspired. So I can't say I have a, a favorite, but I, <laughs> I love to talk to people about possibilities. That's a good trait. That's great. That's, that's really, um, that's a bright way to look at things. That's really great. Mm-hmm. So, okay. The last question, what are people without library cards missing out on? A whole world. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, really. I mean, people without library cards are missing out on the possibility to go into a public space with no expectations at all and just be there and be surrounded by books they can borrow or people they can talk to, uh, 3D uh, equipment they can make, mm-hmm. uh, clothes they can sew for that matter. I mean, <laughs> it's just, I mean, it's just a world of knowledge and culture that's open. Yeah. Totally agree. Uh, and of course, it, it depends on the person that you ask, of course, and on the person in question. But openness is also a value that's very important to me. So I would say to me, I would miss out on, on, on that, that ex- inclusive space, a place where I can actually meet people I otherwise wouldn't. So the connection between other people that, that, that live near me, but I don't have a connection to. Uh, and, and, uh, and these kinds of places, they're, they're not, they're not easy to find, you know, and libraries, probably the, the best example of just that. And therefore, yeah. That's yeah. awesome. So I want to thank you both for coming on today. This has been great. Where can people go to learn more about Bibcent? I guess the most obvious place would be our website. Then Bibcent. you have to read Norwegian. Know. Yeah, you have to read Norwegian to, to uh, learn more about it. Yeah. We do have a Wikipedia, Wikipedia page if you <laughs> you want the nitty gritty about uh, you know our history. Yeah, and can you Google, Google Translate? Yeah. And works flawlessly. Works flawlessly. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll put links to uh, to your webpage and to, that, uh, to the Wikipedia on, uh, on the page for when we launch this, the podcast. So we'll, we'll put all that info there. Okay. Uh, sure. Yeah. And if anyone who listens to this podcast is interesting to, to have a chat, of course, please reach out. Yeah. We yeah. are very interested to talk to people about library stuff. Absolutely. And thank you so much for having us. Chris, it's been great. Yeah, and where's you. Bob? Bob never made it. Bob had to go into a meeting he didn't know about. <laughs> the Long Island traffic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This has been really, really cool. And thank you for being our first library people from a non-English speaking country. So this has been really, really a first for us. And uh, we really, really appreciate you coming on. And thank you for dealing with my horrible, horrible pronunciation. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for having us. But thanks again for having us on. And we'll um, hopefully have you on again soon to talk about more of this great stuff. (laughs) Okay. We have come to the end of another episode of The Library Pros, and we thank you for listening. If you have any questions or comments on this or any episode, click on the Contact Us form on our website, thelibrarypros.com. Visit us on Twitter at The Library Pros and on Facebook at facebook.com slash thelibrarypros. Don't forget to tell a friend or colleague and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Special thanks to our podcasting engineer, Dean Meyer. 
Remember, the opinions stated by the library pros and their guests are solely those of Chris and Bob and are not those of the Sachin Public Library, the MS Clark Memorial Library, or any other library. See you next time. You've been listening to the Library Pros Podcast. The Library Pros are brought to you by Pippet Productions and by the Library Pros themselves, Krista Christofaro and Bob Johnson. Special thanks to Sachin Public Library for providing space for this podcast. Until the next turn of the page, I'm your announcer, Carlton Welch.